0: Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at ShorelineCC.com. We're wrapping up the series today. If you've been with us, you know that we've called the series Below the Surface. Because our intent in this was to take some time during the summer to go below the surface and to dig into some areas that we talk about, things we reference, things we've hit on, or you may have heard me make comments about it, and to really spend some time with it. As a result, we spent three weeks on the Holy Spirit. Wasn't that just an incredible time of just digging in? And and I was so encouraged to hear a lot of our new people just really digging into the Holy Spirit and what baptism in the Holy Spirit means. And I encourage you that as you've been seeking the Lord, as you've been seeking the Holy Spirit in this, to share your story. To share your story, whatever your story is, the Lord moves powerfully in that. But it's so important that we witness, that we testify to that. So I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. Maybe we can go kayaking together. You can tell me about it. So three weeks on the Holy Spirit. Then we talked about salvation. The last two weeks, we talked about divine healing. Pastor Stephanie brought an incredible word about how the Lord heals us. And then last week, I talked about what happens when we pray, and it doesn't seem like we have our healing. What do we do in that? So encourage you to dig into that. It's online. We also have the podcast. It's recording the live service. And today, as we wrap it up, we're going to be diving into uh, one of the events that historians, world historians, that uh, they credit this with two of the most significant events. that when we look at world history, when theologians look at this, they say that two of the most significant events that will occur in history one's already occurred. It was the first coming of Jesus. We call that Christmas. How many people you're already getting ready for Christmas? It's too soon. It's too soon. You can't listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, though my son's already cranking it. But um, It's about Jesus, so we'll let it go. Um, it's the first coming, but the other thing which has yet to happen, when you look at the Bible, when you look at the New Testament, we put a lot of emphasis on the first coming of Jesus, Christmas. But the New Testament, actually, its account and how it records and how it references, it references the second coming of Christ eight to one. So for every one time it talks about the first coming of Jesus, it talks about the second coming that we often refer to as the rapture of the body of Christ eight more times. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, it contains 318 318 references to the second coming of Christ. Isn't that incredible? So this is what we're going to talk about today. And my prayer today as we talk about this, as we dive into what it is, what it means, and what it means for us, that the Holy Spirit would challenge us and would speak to us and would shape us. So can can we just take some time once again just to soften our hearts before the Lord? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is a light unto our path. It shows us where to go. It shows us how to go. And Jesus, I also thank you for the grace that precedes it. Sometimes the truth is difficult to take, but we need the truth because the truth sets us free. The truth transforms us. The truth enables us to walk as we're supposed to walk as Christians, people who are like Christ, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So we thank you for your grace. We know that everything that you do, everything you say, it's all because you are loved, because you love us. So help us to receive your love today, and help us to receive the truth so that it might set us free and it might show us how to walk forward, we pray. So, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Anoint me today, empower me today to speak not Dwayne's words, but your words, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together: Amen, amen. First Thessalonians chapter four. Can't wait. Verses 13 through 18, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Verse 15, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from the graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive, all of us, and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air." Then we will be with the Lord, how long? Forever. 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 And then Paul says, look, encourage each other with these words. These are encouraging words. These are encouraging words. And before I start diving into this, I want to give a book shout out to you. This is a book that I'm actually walking through with a new disciple which is incredible, because what I found out is that as it relates to prophecy, a lot of times, I think especially my generation, we've backed off from it, right? But when when I talk to new Christians, when I talk to new people that are the disciples, they love this, and they actually ask me about this. So a great book that that I've been studying and reading through as well as many other on it. It's a book by Dr. David Jeremiah. It's called The Book of Signs. Wonderful book. It goes deeper, and it's a great overarching book, very accessible to read. So highly recommend that today. And as you read it, if things come up in this, you're like, well, Pastor Dwayne said that. Well, that's where I got it, Dr. David Jeremiah. So wonderful teacher. So first of all, what is the second coming? What is the rapture? Well, when we talk about the rapture, uh, it is an event where, as promised— Christ returns for His church. This is for the body of Christ, right? And uh, and these are, are the people. When we talk about the, the body of, of Christ, we're not talking about people who just agree. With God, right? We're not talking about people who just agree that God exists. We're not even talking about people that they've just stuck a sticker on, on their chest. It's very important to recognize that when Jesus talks about Christians, believers, these are people who have surrendered their life, that they're walking in communion with God, not perfectly. No one's perfect, okay? If you go to a church, the body of Christ, you're gonna see a bunch of imperfect people who mess up. Who would who self identify as one of those with me today, right? This is what the body of Christ is. But He's coming back for all of those to return it says that Jesus that he will return and bring those who are following him to be with him in heaven and it also it also says that our earth our earthly bodies these bodies that we have that they will be changed into heavenly bodies both living and the dead okay and it says that these bodies will never die and i think back again right to the garden of eden when god created us he didn't create us with bodies that would die that's not how god created us when sin came into the world, when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed and they sinned, it brought that curse of death. Which one of the curses of death is that these bodies would die. The death of the body is a part of the original curse of sin. We see this in Genesis two seventeen, And now the second coming, this is a time when Jesus comes as a conquering king to bring justice to the world, and we receive our heavenly bodies. Hallelujah. How will this happen? Well, the Bible is very clear that it's gonna be a big surprise. It's gonna be a huge surprise. Jesus, as well as all the prophets, they were very clear that no one will know when it's gonna happen. As a matter of fact, if you ever hear somebody say, I know when it's gonna happen, you need to take three steps back and say, I'm praying for you, my brother, and my sister, because, because Jesus doesn't even know. It says in the Bible that only God will know, so you need to back away from that and just recognize that it's gonna be a big surprise. Because when someone says that they know, it's it's going directly against what Jesus said, right? Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, Jesus himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, Jesus said, It will be like it was in 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 Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is why, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. See, in this passage, Jesus also explains, he's explaining how it will be like an ordinary day, right? We might be standing in line at a coffee, doing our coffee, people getting married, all those normal things, playing, eating, all those things will take place. And the day of the rapture will have the appearance of a normal until suddenly this happens. And I think it's very important at the body of Christ that we lean into this and we don't try to pretend like we know something that we don't, Right? For those of you who were growing up, you probably remember, right? That there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is going to Come in 88. And then when he didn't come, I'm, this is not a joke. I got a new book for you 89 Reasons Why Jesus is going to Come in 89. We lose credibility when we try to make things up. So it's very important that we don't make things up. If we don't know, we need to say, I don't know. Right? And the Bible says that the rapture will be sudden. So it's something where it'll be a surprise to us, but it's something that will also be sudden that Paul is saying in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, the rapture is not something where Christians are gradually removed, slowly drifting in the air. People, uh, Paul describes it as something that happens in the twinkling of an eye. And, I mean, imagine the great su- surprise that will take place when all of a sudden every Christian from the earth is suddenly removed, suddenly removed. This will be a spectacular event, and this is a word that Dr. David Jeremiah uses. And I went into the, th- the source to try to find is there a better word than spectacular to use for this? But I couldn't find it. Imagine a movie like this. There are some movies that have tried to portray this. I saw them a lot as a kid growing up, it scared me to death. But this is a spectacular scene. I mean, th- look, Jesus returns. And he initiates the rapture by physically descending to earth. So Jesus appears, and then there's the commanding shout, it says, with the voice of the archangel. The archangel, this is a warrior cry. This is something when I read, I can't help but be stirred by it. It is the commanding voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God. This is a call that will go out. This is a powerful, this is an authoritative call that is used to announce that the presence of the king and when Jesus came the first time, he came as a humble king in a manger that we're gonna be talking lot about Christmas. But this is not this return. This is now a conquering king where King Jesus has returned to bring those with him to heaven forever. See, Jesus has conquered death and in returning now, he is raising believers from the dead as well as those who are living to join him in heaven forever. That means no more sickness. That means no more death. That means no more sorrow. Are you looking forward to that today? See, all those who have surrendered their life to Christ, living in the dead, will meet the Lord in the air to be with him forever. Hallelujah. What a great story. What a great account, because it's more than a story. This will happen. So why is the rapture taking place? Why is it? It's powerful, it's incredible, but why is this taking place? Well, it's important to recognize that, first of all, the rapture is the fulfillment of a promise. See, when Jesus left his disciples, he made them a promise, and all of his promises are yes and amen. They are sealed. They are done. They are done. Jesus said to his disciples, because if you remember, you know this account, He's, he's telling them that he's leaving, and they're like, no, Jesus, why are you leaving? You know, don't leave us. But then Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, trust in God. Trust also in me. This is John 14. He said, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus said, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me wherever I am. So Jesus, in the second coming, he's making good on a promise that he made. But it's also important to recognize that the rapture is a rescue mission. And it's rescuing those of us who have surrendered our life to Christ from what's known as the Great Tribulation. Excuse me. See, in the first coming over 2,000 years ago, it said that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. His first coming was a rescue mission to save us, to seek us, to find us, to show us how to live, to show us how to be reconciled to God. And his second coming, like it, is also a rescue mission. And it's a rescue from a seven-year judgment of the earth, which is referred to as the tribulation. What is the tribulation? The tribulation will immediately follow the rapture of the church. And the Bible describes the tribulation as a horrific time when the earth will be judged. The Bible tells us that during this time, Christians will be removed. And it's important to recognize that right now we are living in a season of grace. I think a lot of times we often, we underestimate the presence of God through people in the world that we are in. See, there is a belief that emerged during the Enlightenment era in the 18th century. And as Mark Sayers writes in his book, Disappearing Church, we're going to be diving more in, into this, this coming fall, but he writes, he said, it was the belief that Western culture will flourish once-orthodox religion is jettisoned, that the relegation of Christianity to history's garbage dump will result in a kind of utopia breaking out in our culture. This Enlightenment belief has persisted despite world wars, despite totalitarian regimes, economic collapses, environmental crises, humanitarian disasters, and enduring poverty. See, this view has prevailed... Despite the reality that Christianity has been the leading influence for change in our world and areas serving the most disadvantaged poor of the world throughout history, you will find Christianity at the front lines fighting for those, protecting those, serving those. And in case you missed all that, this is, this is an, an ideology that is still here today that if we can just get religion out of the way, if we can just get Christianity out of the way, and I recognize religion has a whole lot of baggage to it, but at the core, if we can, if we, if we can just remove Jesus from a culture, if we can remove God from a culture, then we will have the utopia that we desire, and historically, it doesn't work. When you remove God, when you remove Jesus, a culture collapse. It collapses on itself. This is one of the great lies of the enemy, and it's a view that is even pushed and believed today. I've heard that many times. And sadly, I've heard it from people that have never experienced God. They've never even tried God. I think it was Chesterton that said, it's it's, it's not so much that Jesus has been tried and failed as much as that he's never been tried. I'm paraphrasing now, of course. He said it better. This is the great lie of the enemy. Because here's the thing. The power of Christ, it moves through Christians it moves through all of us and I don't say that to exalt me because it's not about me believe me but when the power of God is active through all of us in the world that we live today and it rises up the Bible says that it it rains on the just and the unjust these were the words of Jesus we see this in Seattle some of the people that serve the homeless and the poor in powerful ways are Christian organizations And even organizations that may not even claim to be Christian anymore... They started off with Christians. Many of the hospitals that were built in hospitals in Seattle was built and established by nuns. There, there are these stories of nuns coming into the area and wanting to, they see these kids needing health care. They, they see people needing health care. And actually going up into the woods, going to mine's area and talking to the Myers and going, you need to give money because your kid needs, the, needs some help over here. And these nuns would go in to these men who are working and saying, you need to give towards this. We need a hospital in the area. Don't mess with nuns. Why? Because their God compels them to these acts of good service. And so today, God's presence is active in our world, is active in our lives, even in the midst of the brokenness and the rejection of him. See, the presence of God through the lives of Christians, it serves as a a restraining force, holding back the power of Satan in our lives and in places that we live. But when the rapture takes place, all the Christians will be gone. All the Christians will be removed. And the Bible instructs us that with that restraint lifted, Satan will unleash unspeakable horrors upon the earth. And I say that with a lump in my throat, not because I'm worried about me and my salvation, but I think about so many that I love that are so confused on this point. And I've prayed, Lord, help me to communicate this well. Not from a place of fear, from a place of love. Because see, Revelation 6, it goes into great detail, more than I can even begin to share today. But when we look at Revelation 6, the the detail that it goes in, it shows that following the rapture, that ecological disaster on a scale never known to man will take place. Unprecedented famine, disease, and possibly nuclear war will sweep the planet, culminating in the war to end all wars that the Bible calls Armageddon. More than one billion people will lose their lives as Satan wreaks havoc upon this planet. And were it not for the, event, for the intervention of God himself, as he returns later to reign, no one would survive. See, Jesus described the tribulation this way. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, there will be great tribulations such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But it's important to remember that the tribulation is just for a season. That one day, Christ will return again. And there will be the war to end all wars. And Satan will be removed. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We know all of that is waiting as well. So there's good news. But as it relates to this moment, what should our response be? What should our response be? Well, our first response should be one for everything that the Lord gives us. It's to be thankful. See, our, our first response should be a response of thanks. Thankful for a God who loves us enough to warn us and to make a way. See, God's not telling us this to, to just scare us and to manipulate us and to twist us. He's doing this because he loves us. Because it's God's desire that no one would go through this. Second Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that everyone should reach repentance. The tribulation is simply, it's it's a a direct result of the rejection of God. It's important to recognize that without God in our lives, we're defenseless against our adversary, who is Satan. See, Satan is out to destroy us. God is out to save us because he made us and he loves us. And every human is made in his image. But because he loves us, he gives us a choice. See, love is a choice. More than a feeling, love is a choice. That was an amen. Amen. From the mouth of babes. See, we should be thankful that God loves us enough to reveal himself to us, to give us his son to pay for our mistakes, my mistakes, so that now I can be reunited with him. This is the response that we have as adopted children of the most high God. See, this is the response of God, the heart of God from the beginning of time. He always warns us Before he judges us. God doesn't just show up and go boom. But he warns us. He's laid it out for us. He's written it. Prophets have spoke about it and continue to speak about it. But even when we look at the biblical account. We see that this is the pattern of God to warn us first. To give us a chance. Because he doesn't want anyone to go through this. This is what happened in the day of Noah. In Genesis 6, we see that God warned the people of the coming flood and instructed Noah to build an ark. There was a voice that went out, repent. But no one did. God warned the Egyptian pharaoh that you're about to, create, you're about to face this great seven-year famine. He warned him through a prophetic dream that was interpreted by Joseph directly who was then appointed to make all the preparations and to accumulate these massive stores of food to save the nation, but also to save the surrounding nations. God warned them. This was the warning cry given to Nineveh. I love Jonah. The citizens of this pagan city of Nineveh, they avoided its prophesied destruction by heeding Jonah's warning and repenting of their evil, even though Jonah didn't want to give it. Right? That had to be the most impassionate sermon of all time. God, I'll I'll go tell them, you swallowed me in a whale. I feel like you're making me do it, God, but I'll go do it anyway. I'm sure Jonah showed up in some way, just went, you know what? (laughs) I don't like none of (laughs) y'all. But God's going to come. It's going to happen. This is your chance to repent. And they repented. (laughs) Because God loves us, because God loves them. We should be thankful that God is loving and patient with us and gives us opportunity after opportunity. He gives me more opportunity than we give our own kids because he's more patient. This is our loving God. So we need to be thankful, but secondly, we need to be ready. Jesus said, watch and be ready. What Jesus is saying is that knowing all of this, knowing the love of God, knowing that this is going to come, but you don't have to go through it. He's saying, watch And be ready. Be prepared. Live in a state of expectation because Jesus could come any time. I heard this a lot growing up. Anybody grew up in a church like I grew up where every sermon, the pastor mentioned this, right? Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. And at the end of every sermon, I go forward and say, I want to be ready. I don't want to face that. And see, part of being ready, part of living with the expectation is that we evaluate our lives. It's so important that we evaluate our lives. I mean, we do this in so many areas of our life, right? We evaluate all the important things in our lives. We see, as I confessed earlier, we see our doctor, right? Because the doctor loves us enough to say, that's messed up, we need to take care of it. Aren't you thankful when the doctor can find what's going wrong in your body and takes care of it? Thank you, Dr. Nick. <laughs> right? We do this, we do this with our car. If you hear a squeak, you should go get it checked out because you know. That squeak's gonna grow, and the more it grows, the more costly it is. I wish I knew that in my 20s. It took me 30 years to learn that. We kick our tires, we make sure we have food, we make sure everything's ready. So we need to evaluate where am I? Holy Spirit, speak to me. The prayer of David God, re- reveal to me my unknown sin. Sin is just missing the mark. Where am I out of alignment here? Show me, I wanna be a man after your own heart. I wanna follow you. This is how we be ready. So we need to be thankful and we'd be ready, but we also need to be a witness. And we dove into this word several weeks ago. God has called us to be a witness, to be salt and light in the world. See, in Acts 1:7, Jesus even said, It is not for you to know. And then he said, But I'm going to empower you, right? He said, You're not going to know what's going to happen, but I'm going to empower you to be a witness. The Holy Spirit's going to come, it's going to fill you, it's going to teach you everything, it's going to remind you of the things that you forgot. And it's going to empower you to be a witness. I get the whole line, you know, preach the gospel and when necessary live, use words. That's been misattributed a lot. And I get the sentiment behind it. But we need to use words. Yes, our life needs to match up. Right? We live for Christ. We live as an example to the Lord. And, and we walk that out. But we need to use Words. If my kids come to me and say, Dad, why don't you ever tell me that you love me? I can't say, Well, you know, I love you. I feed you. I let you live here. You know, of course I love you. <laughs> right? That's dysfunctional. I try to tell my kids every day, I love you. I don't want them to ever think I don't love them. We need to use words. And if we don't know the words to say, we seek the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower us, to lead us. That's the greater thing Jesus was talking about, that we can walk into areas with discernment, knowing when to speak, knowing when to listen, knowing that word to say, that moment that speaks to what's going on, just like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman at the well. This is the walk of Jesus. We need to be a witness. I mean, after all, can you imagine if someone close to you went through a this tragic, this horrific thing, and after you walked up and said, yeah, I knew that was going to happen, but I didn't tell him? Can you imagine what that person would say to you? If you knew I was about to walk through something horrific that could have been avoided if you just told me, and then I find out that you didn't tell me, I'd be like, I thought we were friends. I thought you cared about me. So why do we not talk about it? Why is this something, sometimes it's almost like a dirty little secret, right? We want to say, God loves you, God loves you, and he does. God's here for you, whatever, but we don't want to talk about this. Why do we not want to talk about this? Well, I know why I don't want to talk about it, because it was used as a stick to beat me over the head as a little kid. I, I shared earlier, I heard about this all the time. Turn or burn, right? If you were to die tonight, what's going to happen to you? Dwayne, are you going to go to hell? Probably. (laughs) I'd run. Uh, When I say I went to the altar every time, I'm not kidding because I was scared to death. That's why it's grace and truth. So I'm not giving you a model to follow because I made it. I was able to sort through that stuff, but I, I have a litany of friends that have not made it because it was so confusing to them because we can be scared for a while, but after a while, the fear rubs off. Right, It's like trying to manipulate and scare somebody into marrying you. I didn't do that, did I? We were both scared, but not, be- not because we, you know, for other reasons. You wouldn't do that. If someone did that, you'd be like, you need to get away from that. That's dysfunctional. We don't use fear, and so as a result, I think especially for my generation, that as it relates to evan- evangelism became a dirty word because it was all about fear because the fear eventually comes off. I saw the 88 reasons why Jesus was gonna come and then he didn't. I saw the 89 reasons why Jesus is gonna come and then he didn't. So it's all a lie, it's just fear. And that's not how God approaches me. Now there's a healthy fear. There's, there's nothing wrong with fear, right? If you're gonna go up in an airplane to skydive, you should have a healthy fear of falling through the air. And that healthy fear should cause you to go to a class that talks about parachuting and that you go through and you inspect your parachute and you inspect your backup. And I've never done this, but what people have told me is that once you're training, you go through, they have the person who is wearing the parachute inspect their own parachute. Why? Because you're taking your life in your hands. And yes, you can ask questions, but you need to know that your parachute's going to work. You need to know that your backup's going to work because even though there's nothing like flying through the air, there's also nothing like looking up and saying, thank God the parachute opened that's a healthy fear I have a healthy fear of eating bad food (laughs) if you've ever eaten bad food and gotten sick you know how horrific that is so we check things how's the temperature Right. we want to make sure that the kitchen is clean that it's coming out of though I don't recommend walking through restaurant kitchens it may cause you to not eat anymore But there's a healthy fear. We have traffic laws that we all should obey. We should wear a seatbelt, not because we're afraid of driving, but just in case. We have all these safety laws, there's all these things around us. We have insurance. (laughs) There's a healthy side to fear. But we don't let the fear control us to where driving is so scary, I'm never gonna drive. Or walking down the street is so scary, I'm never gonna walk down the street again. Or just going outside is so scary, I'm not gonna go outside again. No, 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 no. You, we have a healthy respect for things. I love kayaking. But I have a healthy respect. I've, I've studied a lot about it. I've talked to people about it. I wear a life jacket. I got my whistle to blow in case I'm in help. I got something to bail it out of my kayak instead of, in case it flips over. I've got a tow rope so I can help somebody that can help me. I bring all these things, but I'm not out there on the water going, okay, any minute now, right? No, I'm out there. No, I'm looking around the mountains. I'm, I'm praying that a fish will finally bite my hook this year, right? I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. I'm talking to people around me, but, I've, but I'm ready, See, fear is not meant to make us go into this cocoon and to go into hiding. It's this healthy fear that says, No, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be empowered. I need the Holy Spirit. I need to make sure that my life is right so that I can walk now with boldness and say, My life is right with the Lord. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm empowered. So when I talk to somebody and I don't even know what to say, I can say, Holy Spirit, show me right now. Teach me right now. Help me right now. And I don't need to be afraid. Do you see the difference? There's a healthy side of it. Because here's the thing. The church, the body of Christ, we need to re-engage with the heart of Christ, which is to make disciples. And as much as I love all of you, and I do, I deeply do, I'm walking through a city that we're the most, one of the most unchurched cities in America. We're a mission field. People are sending missionaries here. Does that make your heart ache? Knowing what's waiting, but knowing how it could be. See, we need to share the love of Christ with everyone. See, part of a growing church, you know a church, a body of Christ, is healthy when it is inviting people, when it is engaged, when it can't wait to show up here. See, showing up here today did not make you more saved, right? It didn't make your stock grow up with God. We are gathered here today so that we can do what it says in Hebrews, to encourage one another, to love one another, to engage, to sharpen one another, and that when a new person comes together, we can welcome them together. We can engage with one another. But there's times that we have new people come in, they look around, and they go, where is everybody? Well, they come you know, once a month, they come. Twice a month, they come, whatever. And I'm not saying that to put guilt in your life. I'm saying that to say we need to engage with the one another's again if the body of Christ is going to make it because the church across this nation is on a massive decline. And the studies are clear that when we're not engaged with the body of Christ, we lose our engagement with God. Go on vacation. Awesome. Put your pictures on Facebook. I'll like them. If you catch a fish, I'm going, where are you? I'm, I'm going to join you right now. Do that. But we need to engage. And we need to be inviting people. And you're saying, well, I don't know how to invite people. Holy Spirit, try it. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. I have made mistakes in sharing the gospel that I've gotten off the bus, and I've literally fallen to my knees and said, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I wish I did better in that. You know what the Holy Spirit said? Nice try. Okay. Now, next time, I want you to get on this bus, and I want you to go over here, and I want you to ask this guy about his shoes. I'm not kidding. If I don't step, I don't learn. Okay? And I'm like, at least I didn't take a sword like Peter, no offense, Peter, and cut off somebody's ear. But if I do, Jesus is going to come along, and he's going to heal that ear. (laughs) Now, be wise. I'm not saying reckless, but sometimes we're so afraid of make mistakes, we don't do anything try something try something engage in a way volunteer with one of our local missionary Movements that are doing things and saying, "I want to learn from you. I want to. I want to volunteer with community dinners. I want to volunteer with Olive Crest to to reach out to to foster families and foster kids. And I want to learn from them, or I want to go with UGM, or I want to go with Bread of Life. Or Pastor is doing a prayer walk. He's going down the bus. I want to go along with him and just kind of see what's going on. And at the very least, we'll have great coffee along the way, the best coffee along the way, because that's where Jesus is. Try something. Do something. Get with people and pray and say." I have people in my life that I'm praying for. Would you pray with me? Would you and God, help me, show me in this. See, the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do this. Invite somebody to come here and sit with you. Invite somebody next week. Would you come? We invite people to Mariners games. We invite people to Kraken games. We invite people to our favorite coffee houses, to our favorite restaurants. We invite people to our homes. If this matters, invite, find somebody. And you're like, I don't know who to invite. Holy Spirit, guide me, direct me, bring somebody into my life. I've prayed for friends that the Holy Spirit has brought into my life. I've prayed for opportunities to share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit has done this. The Holy Spirit is faithful. We need to grow. We need to grow. We need to apply. Faith without works is dead. See, we grow dramatically in our walk with God when we join his mission of telling others about Jesus and invite them to join us in our pursuit of him. You want to grow? Do this. This is what Jesus did. I mean, think about all the times. Jesus, he sent his disciples out, and they came back, and they said it didn't work. (laughs) He Gave them a few pointers. He didn't bench them. He said, no, no, go. And not to harp on Peter, but I mean... Peter made so many mistakes that he thought he was disqualified and he he, he just went back to his day job. Jesus went to Peter and he found him and he blessed him. He said, you know, Peter, I can bless this. Did a catch like they never had before. Peter, I can bless this. I I can make you the world's greatest fisherman but you're called to be a fisher of men and women. This is your call. I know you think that you've disqualified yourself. You're never disqualified with God because the moment you turn your heart to him, you're made right in his sight instantly. The rapture happens suddenly. Your salvation happens suddenly. (laughs) It's in that moment. Filled with the power of God. And now he says, go. Faith without works is dead. But here's the thing. If, If you want to experience the resurrection power of Christ in your life, In order to experience the resurrection, you first need to experience death. Resurrection comes after death. And the death is me. Dwayne needs to die. And a lot of times, one of the biggest things that needs to die in me is insecurity. I can't do it. God, you shouldn't use me. Use somebody else. I want to, but what do I have to offer? Anybody like that? Probably most of us. And then Jesus says, Kill it, and I will raise you up. That's why Paul said it's in my weakness. That's why he, he begged the Lord three times to take away that thorn in his side, and then Paul came to the conclusion of, you know what? I got a pride problem. This keeps me humble. I will celebrate this. I will be glad about this because I want the power of the resurrected Christ in me. Amen? Amen, if you want that power of Jesus in your life, just, just stand. Just stand with me today. Let's all stand over this place. Let's seek the Lord. The Lord is moving in this place. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us. You've revealed your love to us, you revealed who you are to us, you revealed the future, you revealed your rescue plan, and you've revealed even what happens after that a new heaven and a new earth. So, Lord, show us what we need to do now in this moment. And two things. The first question is, where are you? Am I ready? This is an evaluation. That if Christ were to return today, are you ready? Do you want to join him? Not based on fear. Not based on, Pastor Dwayne, just really giving it to you. But you want to be with Jesus. You want to be with the God who made you. In this moment, it's simply as you acknowledge who Jesus is, as you confess your sin, the rejection, the ignoring, the failure to follow Christ and asking Jesus to forgive you and then committing your life to follow him, that dying to yourself. If you want to do that, this is a simple prayer. It's not about the words, it's about your heart. Just just repeat after me, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God believe you love me. I believe you made me. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of rejecting you. Forgive me of ignoring you. Forgive me of failing to follow you. I give my life to you. We can all pray that. Can we pray that? I give my life to you. I surrender to you. I follow you. I give you my fears. I give you my insecurity. I give you my pride. Kill it, Lord. Destroy it, Lord. And fill me with your presence. Fill me with your life. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you pray that prayer for the first time, the thousandth time, tell your story. Tell us. Connect with us. We have a Bible for you. Heaven is rejoicing. That's step one, and now we move on to step two. Who has God called me to reach? Who are you praying for in your life? Are you praying for people at school? Are you praying for people at work? Are you praying for people, whatever your circle is? As the worship team leads us, this is the house of prayer. I want you to engage with somebody. I want to invite you to come up. We have prayer teams here to come up and pray and say, you know what? I'm praying for this in my life. Maybe there's a fear and you want them to pray with you. Or I want, can, can we pray together? Can we join together for this person, this family member? You may want to get in a little circle where you are, circle up and say, God, save my family. Save my coworkers. But let's take some time to respond, to allow the Holy Spirit to move in and amongst us. We also have communion. Communion is a great time in our life to recognize that Jesus died and he rose again. He sacrificed for us. But communion for me often recognizes that if I want to experience that resurrection, I need to die. So many times when I take communion, I say, Lord, let this be gone from me. Let this be removed from me. Take away whatever it is. It's confessional time. Forgive me of this. But let's engage. Faith without works is dead. Lord, we build our life upon your love, the firm foundation, and we put our trust in you alone. And Lord, that last word, I will not be shaken. Lord, what we've heard from you today, Holy Spirit, what you've spoken to us today, let it be so firmly implanted in our lives that it will never be shaken. Lord, that we wouldn't let it be reason, we wouldn't let it just be pushed to the side. But God, let it be enacted in us. You're doing a work in us. And Lord, we are in such an incredible area, an area that they're hungering and thirsting for. I think of what Paul said, that they're worshiping the unknown God, Lord, I pray that through us and through other believers in this area, that they would connect with the living, the only true, all wise, all knowing, all powerful, Alpha and Omega, great I am, the God, flow through us, O God. Use us, embolden us as we walk, that we would walk as your ambassadors, disciples of Jesus, doing those greater things because you are in us, and that we would find the joy in that. Everyone said together, amen, amen. Let me tell you, there's nothing, if you've never experienced this, there's nothing like sharing the love of Christ with somebody and seeing them light up. And the more that you do it, I've even gotten to the point where even the rejection of it, I take that well. (laughs) I don't take all rejection well, but when I've been faithful to the Lord and I feel like I've shared the love of Christ in the way that God wanted me to do and they reject it, I walk away going, God, I feel like I obeyed you today and obedience is success, isn't it, right? Right? If they reject me because of me, that's different, right? I go home and eat a bag of chips. But if they reject me because it's Jesus they're rejecting, then I say, Lord, you know, I obeyed you. What should I do next time? What should I do next time? Don't be put up by rejection. People reject Jesus all the time. If they rejected him, they're going to reject you. But we walk and we learn and we're strengthened. There are people I've been praying all my life for and just this year gave their life to Christ. There are people I'm still praying for that have yet to give their life to Christ. And you're there too. Don't give up. Because here's the thing, you're growing in this as you wrestle with it. And also don't own it. You're not Jesus. right? I know you know you're not Jesus, but sometimes we act like we're Jesus. And no, we're not. We're called to obey and to walk and to find the success in obedience. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, don 't forget next week is we 're worshiping outdoors, so bring your favorite iced coffee or ice whatever All right september's a great month here in Seattle, so summer is still kicking and, and the kids are in school, that means you can do more stuff okay so um, <laughs> just have have fun, enjoy, enjoy the sun. this is our benediction let 's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. the Lord make his face in you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.